Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. I am your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin. Joined once again by one of my favorite guests. He is Trevor Sycama at Tampa Bay Trey, uh, one of the hosts of the NFL Stock Exchange Stock Exchange podcast uh, over on uh, PFF. Uh, also an analyst over at PFF, wearing a lot of hats as always. Trevor, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I am doing great, Kevin. I appreciate you having me on. I know we had a good conversation talking pre-draft with the Falcons, and now we get to assess what they actually did, which is always cool. So I appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you coming on. And uh, we did we did uh, meet before the draft, so it's a little bit of nice pre and post uh, to talk about here I, uh, as we get into sort of the, the the slower part of the NFL calendar. We're going to have to stretch this draft talk out as long as possible, obviously. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm curious. We we obviously did talk about some of these guys. We talked a lot about Bijan. I believe we did actually mention Bergeron because you guys were one of the podcasts that was actually talking up Bergeron to the Falcons prior to yeah. the draft. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's start with Bijan. I know we talked about it a bit beforehand, but now that the Falcons actually did pull the trigger on it, what, how do you feel about the, their decision to go with Bijan there at eight? Yeah, so this was one of the potential landing spots, right? I think that when everybody was going through their mock draft simulations, they said, okay, well, Bijan's too good to slip out of the first round. Like, Bijan's too good to probably slip into the 20s. But nobody really knew where he was going to go. Like, we thought, okay, he's one of the better offensive prospects that we have in this class, but nobody felt comfortable putting him in the top 10. If there was a spot that he was going to go in the top 10, it was going to be to the Atlanta Falcons. We just know that that's what they want to do. They want to emphasize that position, but they also want to expand that position, right? When people say, oh, you know, the Falcons love the ground game. They absolutely do love the ground game, but I think they just love the position. Like I think Arthur Smith just likes the running back position in general. So for them to get not only a talented runner, but also somebody who, can give you a lot in the passing game as well. That is perhaps their perfect type of offensive player that they want to start to build their offense around. Not that they're starting from ground zero on the roster, but that feels like that's the primary position. If they can run their offense through their running back, both on the ground and even in the pass game a little bit as well, it just feels that's what Arthur Smith's MO has been over the last couple of years, even going back to when he was a Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator, what they were doing with Derrick Henry. So it makes a ton of sense. Uh, and and you and I did chat before the draft and um, believe that kind of said similar thoughts of if yeah. he's going to go anywhere in the top 10, it felt like Atlanta was the spot to land. Today's show is brought to you by betonline.ag, your number one source for all your NHL championship and NBA finals info, stats, news, and scores. You can get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA and Stanley Cup finals. Perhaps you're still feeling overly confident in the Falcons after this offseason, right? You can bet on Atlanta to rid the NFC South right now, or even the NFC Championship, other NFL futures. Uh... Could all end in disappointment, though, so, so be forewarned. <laughs> but no matter what you do, guys, Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season as they've got you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, golf, to UFC and boxing. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. 
So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, and it, it seems like there was going to potentially be another suitor for Bijan in the Detroit Lions uh, had he not gone to Atlanta at eight and he would have still gone easily, you know, within the top uh, half of the first round. So certainly, and, you know, Jameer Gibbs was a pretty surprising pick, I think, for a lot of folks. But, right. um, you know, maybe the NFL not as low on running backs as we've been led to believe uh, with two going early in this one. But I agree with what you said about Bijan. And it, it, it's one of the things that I think is interesting about how I how Arthur Smith is sort of setting up this offense with another op- another guy, Cordero Patterson, sort of another versatile option back there, but also Jonu Smith, who is listed as a tight end, but Arthur Smith in Tennessee used him a lot, lined up in the backfield as a yeah. as an H-back, as a fullback, uh, doing like sweeps and, and, you know, sort of wheel routes out of the backfield. So I think it's going to be a big part of this offense, like you mentioned, that they're going to try to confuse defenses by having multiple players in the backfield and having a lot of movement going on behind the line of scrimmage, not just in terms of we're going to have a bunch set over here with three wide receivers. It's like, no, we're going to mm-hmm. have a bunch set with Bijan lined up and then he's going to come in the backfield and Algiers going to run out or Johnny Smith's going to come off the line. So I, they want to, I think, create formational chaos. And I think when you don't necessarily have the wide receiver talent to do it traditionally with just being like, we're going to have three terrifying wide receivers like the Cincinnati mm-hmm. Bengals, I think it's necessary to sort of scheme it up and, and make it more difficult for defenses to sort of hone in on your, your star players. And they're going to have to figure it out this year, but I, I like I like where they're going with it at this point. Yeah, and you have the ability to get better receiver basically every year, right? I think we see that through free agency, through the trade block, uh, through the draft certainly as well. There's just so many good receivers that come through the draft, that come through free agency that – more often than not, there's going to be years where one of those two pools are going to be deep with talent, whether it's going to be free agency or whether it's going to be the draft. This year was kind of an anomaly because it both of them were like, okay, but nobody was going crazy for either the talent that was in the draft or the talent that was in free agency. But more often than not, I just think that you have opportunities to expand your wide receiver room, especially for what the Falcons have right now, which they already have Kyle Pitts. So they drafted the player that they figured they cannot get anywhere else. We're, we're never really going to be able to draft a player of this caliber at the tight end position probably ever again. And if any of t- if any tight end becomes as good as what we think Kyle Pitts is going to become, he's not going to hit the open market. So they drafted him there. I think they have the same thought process with Bijan, where, yeah, running backs are known as a dime a dozen. And certainly if you're just really focusing on the ground game with these guys, then you can get good running backs every single year and you can even get them a little bit later in the draft. But how many of them are quite like Bijan? I tell you not many, especially for the way that the Falcons are, like we talked about, going to emphasize the position. So then you throw Drake London in there, you know, he'll be your wide receiver one, wide receiver two, depending on who you get throughout the rest of the years um, or the next couple of years as you build out that passing attack. But I think that's probably how they're looking at it is no, the offense isn't complete, but they have now three really good unique skill set players in the past game versatility of Bijan Robinson, just the overall alien athleticism of Kyle Pitts, and then a contested catch, big bodied machine in Drake London. 
So those three skill sets they have prioritized knowing that, okay, well, whoever wide receiver two, wide receiver three, or maybe them are good. One of those players is good enough to be wide receiver one, whoever those guys are, they almost have the rest of the pieces to, it becomes a perfect offense, not too far away from here. So, you know, we knew that the Falcons were going to be a long rebuild when Terry Fontenot got the job, um, when they brought in Arthur Smith, basically, you know, when you're moving on from the Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn regime, it was going to be a rebuild. And and now it feels like they have, you can see the vision, if you will. And, and they're not too far away from being a playoff hopeful division contending type of a team. Yeah, no. And, and that's definitely something we're going to get to a little bit later on as well. Um, but, you know, it, I think the idea is to, with the NFL going all out and we're seeing all these heavy investments in wide receiver, the Falcons are like, well, maybe we can't get that, but maybe what we can do is load up our backfield, load up the tight end room with a lot of contributors and get guys that they're not elite talents, but they can fill a role for us. You know, Matt Collins is a great example of a guy who is maybe the best run blocking wide receiver and a really good contested catch guy who's having sort of a a mid-career resurgence not necessarily terrifying anyone as a wide receiver one, but as like your third or fourth option in the pass game, that's fine. Uh, you know, Bucks legend Scotty Miller is, is here in Atlanta now. And apparently the Falcons, from from what I've heard, they they do view him as basically their deep threat option. Um, you know, I don't know if you give anyone some Scotty Miller, uh, some Scotty Miller hype. I know he did have that one pretty encouraging year with Tampa Bay and then had some injuries and wasn't necessarily featured after that. But what do you think about Scotty Miller just while we're on wide receiver? Yeah, um, Scotty was just kind of caught in a deep wide receiver room, right? I, I think that he was a good deep threat for them, but it's really hard to make your living as just a deep threat because you don't get on the field very much. It's specialized situations. And then if you don't, you know, like if the ball just doesn't find you, your career just becomes so boom or bust. Like even Deshaun Jackson, right, towards the end of his career. I remember when Deshaun Jackson came to Tampa Bay and Jameis Winston was still the quarterback. It was – it's not like Jackson was bad. He just, they they weren't able to connect on a lot of those deep shots. And if that's, if you can't do that, then all of a sudden your value just plummets because of what you were brought in to do. It's such a specialized role. So I think Scotty will have more opportunities to be more than just a deep threat player for them. We'll be able to kind of prove his worth. At least I think the opportunity is there for him where it really wasn't in Tampa because wide receiver one was going to be Mike Evans. Wide receiver two is going to be Chris Godwin. They brought in Russell Gage to be their slot wide receiver three type of player. And there's just, there's not a lot of regular wide receiver snaps, if you will. What what Scotty Miller was going to get on the field to do was going to be a deep threat type of player. And I think that Atlanta believes, yes, he could be that, but he could be even more than that as well. Yeah. I think, when I looked at it, it was sort of Scotty Miller is basically a similar player to Demir Bird, who was sort of the Falcons deep threat last year. But Miller obviously going to be 26 this year, whereas Bird is getting into his early 30s. And Miller, uh, Scotty started to play special teams last year for Tampa Bay. And Demir mm-hmm. Bird never really has played special teams. So the Falcons do value that special teams flexibility, especially when you're going to be, you know, the fourth, fifth, sixth wide receiver. Um, so I, I think it's like, oh, this is Demir Bird. A little bit younger, maybe, you know, a little bit more athleticism at this point in his career. And he plays special teams. So, um, you know, swapping that out. And and I do think he'll have a bigger opportunity in Atlanta, which I'm sure helped him uh, make the decision to sign here. But let's uh, let's keep it rolling uh, with the round two pick, Matthew Bergeron, who is the other player we talked about pre-draft. So we're, we're mm-hmm. two for two, uh, basically, going uh, in this. That, that's pretty great. Uh, that's much yeah. better than I usually do. So <laughs> we got... 
Uh, Matthew Bergeron coming in, he is playing guard. Immediately, they made him left guard. Um, mm. He's not starting yet, but it's, you know, OTAs. Uh, and, and they do have Matt Hennessy, who started games for them last year, who is currently starting. But yeah, let's, I mean, we did talk about the potential of him transitioning to guard on the pre-draft show. But now that he has officially come to Atlanta and is transitioning to guard, what do you think about Bergeron's potential to, to start the year as the Atlanta's left guard? Yeah, I had him ranked pretty highly as a guard. Um, I can't remember if I had him as my number two guard or number three guard. I can't remember because because the way that I do it is is um, sometimes I'll throw everybody into a bucket. So like Peter Skronsky, I had him graded as a tackle and I would have drafted him and let him play tackle, fail at tackle, if you will, before you ever think about kicking him inside. But then I did the exercise in my rankings where I was like, well, okay, if, if Skaronsky is a guard at the NFL level, he's the top guard in this class. So I had him at the very top of my interior offensive line rankings. And then Bergeron was either two or three with Osiris Torrance. I can't remember exactly uh, where he was, but he was up there for me, man. I, I really like the skill set. Uh, he's another player who I think can give you some tackle versatility yeah. to me. He's like an Elijah Vera Tucker type of a player where, all right, home base might be on the interior, but if you're in a pinch where one of your offensive tackles go down, He's got experience playing left tackle and right tackle, and he could do. I thought he could do it very well. He's a little bit short-limbed, and he doesn't carry as much. He doesn't cover as much ground when he's getting in those deep kick set, um, kick sets when it comes to um, pass pass setting. But other than that, man, I think everything else is really there for him. Love that the feet are always working for him. I think that's going to be a trade that's really going to translate very well to him being a guard, displacing people because that lower body power is going to just be consistently churning. Some guys on the interior, they're very they're very strong up top, right? Broad shoulders, big traps, big chest. They, they've got big arms. They'll get up into you, and then they'll kind of just try to like hold the point of attack or just try to angle you, whatever. And sure, their feet are grounded, but it's not like they're trying to displace them, not trying to move them. When Matthew Bergeron gets his hands up in you and makes contact and you're fully engaged with him, those feet start turning. And he immediately wants to displace you, get you off balance, take you away from what you're getting and the power of your lower body as well. So that's something I think it really translate the guard. Love the, the athleticism level that he brings to being a puller, getting outside, whether it comes to counter plays or as a lead blocker, whatever it is, man. Uh, I'm just... I, this is a dude who I think was born to play O-line and you could just see that in his style of play and how naturally he is. So no, it's not really a shock or a worry that he is not starting immediately um, at, uh, at OTAs because it was going to be a little bit of a transition for him to be a full-time interior offensive lineman. And like you said, they got veterans on the roster. So those guys, it's not like those guys are just going to bow out and let the second round rookie come in and take their snaps. So they're going to play as best they can as well. They're going to push him. And so we'll see if he ends up getting that starting gig by week one. Yeah, he certainly has a chance to do that. I mean, I, I, the team does seem to to like Matt Hennessy as sort of their primary like swing interior guy. You know, we know he can play center. We know he can play left guard from last year. Um, so Hennessy doesn't have to worry too much about being off the roster or anything like that. But um, certainly when you draft a guy in the second round, you're expecting him to, to win that job. And I, I do think Bergeron will probably do it. We, I mean, this is, that's what he did when he got to Syracuse, right? He'd never, uh, never played American football before. Uh, he'd played only Canadian football. Shows up at Syracuse as a true freshman and wins the starting tackle job immediately. Uh, and, and the rest is history, right? So um, he's a cool guy. Coaches just rave about him. You know, I do live in Syracuse. So this is a guy I actually got to see, which was cool. Um, so it's a, it's a pick that I really like. I think it solidifies that offensive line. If, 
you know, Drew Dahlman can take that next step. You know, he was sort of a solid starter last year. We did see some some nice flashes, particularly in the run game. But if he can take that step to being above average or better, and Caleb McGarry can keep playing at the level he was last year, I mean, we're looking at this offensive line going from in you know 2020 2021 being one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL in terms of yeah. pass protection to two years later being one of the strongest units. Uh, and it's been a lot about you know sort of development, but also investment in terms of cap space and in terms of draft capital. Um, so I'm excited to see how that works because we've seen it. Like teams that are consistently good typically have a consistently good offensive line. And I, I think that was one of the reasons the Bucks did have their their run of success there was they had that really strong line in front of Tom Brady. Um, so I think it's a great foundation for your offense. And I, I, I do like the continued investment there from the Falcons. Uh, other side of the ball also on the lines. Uh, I know Falcons fans were clamoring for it. We do get that edge rusher addition in uh, Ohio State's Zach Harrison, um, which is a, who's a guy that I didn't ever mock to the Falcons, but definitely someone that makes sense, particularly when you see the Calais Campbell signing and you're like, Oh, this Mm -hmm. guy, this is, this is Calais Campbell's understudy. This is him, you know, but uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on Zach Harrison. Cause I don't think he was someone that we talked about. Yeah, so Harrison makes a ton of sense, like you said, when you look at this depth chart, right? It's a, it's, it's a 3-4 kind of a formation with David Onyemata and Elias Campbell, right? And I think that you've got more stand-up edge rushers than guys like Bud Dupree, um, Lorenzo Carner, Carter, Arnold Epicady. Those are more stand-up guys. And, and Zach Harrison can be a stand-up edge outside linebacker type, but he's huge. You know, it's, it's, his massive frame, I can't remember what his exact measurables were. It's like but over 36-inch arms. Yeah, it's, it's just nuts. like insane wingspan yeah. to him. And I can't remember, what, what is he officially, like six foot seven, six yeah. foot six? Yeah. So, I mean, like, he's just a massive human being. And when you are playing uh, three down front, you want to be able to take up a lot of space and, and you could do that when you have the body frame and the wingspan that he does. So he is somebody who I think can give you some versatility along the the defensive line. I don't know if he's ever going to be a starter. If he's going to be a starter, I feel like it's going to be as a three, four defensive end. Like I think he'll probably make his mark there because um, He's not as fluid or bendy as a pass rusher as some of these other guys. And you would say, well, like, of course not, because he's six foot seven. Well, I would agree with you, but that's also why I think that if he's going to gain his starting role, it's not going to be over a Lorenzo Carter or an Arnold Libicati who's going to be able to give you more speed, more twitch as an outside pass rusher, as a stand-up outside linebacker. So I think that his home base is probably going to be more as uh, on the defensive line, just giving him a lot of versatility there. I mean, like, can you imagine if he you know, puts on some solid weight as well, getting a little bit bigger. And you sometimes put him head up against a center. I mean, if he gets to the point where he's really mastering how to use that leverage and how to get that interior penetration as a three, four um, hand of the dirt kind of a player, hey, you've got some plays where you might be just putting some centers out the dry. If you can get a guy with this long of arms, we see the bills sometimes do that with Greg Rousseau, right? Just because he is so uniquely built they'll throw him inside as like a, like a one technique player right up against the center. And if he can fire up at you in at, at the, at the point of attack and he can extend those arms on you, those centers normally don't have very long arms. They, they normally got like T-Rex arms. So they might be swinging at air trying to make up for it. And I feel like that could be a, a, a potential role for, for Zach Harrison as well. Yeah. I like, I like him as sort of a high floor addition in the, in the third round that I think, 
at he'll be able to contribute as a run defender like no matter what like I, I think you can depend on him against the run and it's really just can you translate as a pass rusher because his pressure numbers according to pff were, were pretty good he mm-hmm. just didn't finish a lot of sacks so and, and maybe that's okay. Maybe he's a high pressure. Maybe he's a guy that creates pressure for other people to clean up. You know, any pressure really for the Falcons would be a plus at this point. So, um, but I, I think they like his ability on early downs. And I, I, at this point, we're sort of still up in the air about like, is this going to be more of a three, four? Is this going to be more of a four, three? Like is Ryan Nielsen's defense like going to be like new Orleans or is it going to be something different here in Atlanta? Um, so I'm curious to see what happens with him, but I think you brought up a good point about his, his versatility to potentially play inside too. Um, if they need him there uh, as three, four defensive end, um, now my favorite pick of the draft, I think it might've been your favorite pick too, outside of Bijan maybe, but with Clark Phillips in the fourth round, which it was shocking to me that he was still there. Um, and it, it sort of flies in the face of like the Falcons under Dan Quinn, where it was like, just give me the biggest corner you have. Uh, but they go for Clark Phillips. There in the fourth round, I think it's an absolute steal. Uh, but I'm curious your thoughts on, on Clark Phillips in Atlanta. The fact that you get him in the fourth round, I don't think there's any complaining about this pick whatsoever, right? When when people were were saying, hey, Clark Phillips is top five corner in this class, you're talking about drafting him potentially in the first round, as we saw with, with corners in this draft. And that's where I just couldn't get on board with it. The sized profile of him just worries me too much. Now, I was somebody who... I love Asante Samuel Jr. too, right? Like when he was coming out, I was a big advocate of Asante Samuel Jr. just because he's such a damn good corner. And that's the way that I feel about Clark Phillips. Although I do, I, I, I liked Asante Samuel Jr. more than I liked Clark Phillips, but he's just such a great ball hawk, man. He's such a playmaker as a corner. The three interception game that he had was just absolutely gorgeous and how he's breaking on the ball, how natural he is at the position, how aggressive he is because of how confident he is and his abilities, the worry is the size profile would probably tell you that he can't survive as an outside corner. He does not have a lot of experience in the slot. And in the one game that he did play a lot in the slot, I think it was the UCLA game, he did not look comfortable at all. Like that con- that confidence, that aggressive nature – it, it it was not there for him. He was second guessing a lot. He did not look comfortable in the slot. It was just when he, when he was not able to use the sideline as that like extra defender, he just did not look nearly as comfortable. Perhaps he can get comfortable as a slot defender, but I'm, I'm, I'm sort of worried about him there. And I think that his only true position as of right now has to be on the outside. Now that was the case for Asante Samuel Jr. And Asante Samuel Jr. has, has panned out. He is a good, he's a good player. Maybe that's the case with Clark Phillips, but the fact that he lasts until the fourth round, you take a chance on it. I mean, the film, the mentality, the ball skills, the, the, just the approach to the position, everything, all of that is there. He's just smaller of a player. And I kind of worry about his change of direction a little bit as well. So you take the chance. If you were drafted in the first round, I would have been a little bit more hesitant about it. Maybe even in the second round, probably would have been a little bit more hesitant about it. But the fact that you're getting him on day three, it's a great pick, especially for a cornerback room that's really looking for those confident players as they build out the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point you could slot him in as the fourth corner, and it's like, well, that's fantastic. I mean, Clark Phillips yeah, could be one of the best fourth corners in the NFL. And if he's just a really good depth corner for a fourth-round pick, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. So the risk is very low. And I, 
he is so his tape is so good it just like i i always want to like trust the tape it's like okay i just love this guy um but mm-hmm. you, you bring up a lot of good points about the size that's obviously why he fell he didn't test out out like insane uh either you know i think his his short area quickness tested out really well but the the long speed just a four or five which is still technically above average it, it's it's didn't blow the doors off of anyone and then i think he came in a couple inches smaller than than people were expecting so it is what it is there you know there whenever you talk about small corners on the outside the two yeah you mentioned asante samuel jr that that's one um but then you think about dj reed and i just wonder like maybe he is just the next dj reed like he is that small corner that just doesn't it doesn't matter like he doesn't he doesn't think of himself as small uh he doesn't play small and he just makes no, it work. certainly not but no it hasn't happened often you know dj reed is is really one of the only guys that's been able to make it work consistently so maybe that is his future maybe it's more of a transition to the slot but with the falcons bringing in jeff akuda bringing in mike hughes uh they don't necessarily need clark phillips to start in the slot immediately mm-hmm. he could just be the primary depth guy but if he takes to the slot quickly there's i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't rule out him winning a starting job um but i i think i also feel like he's one of those guys that like no matter what he's gonna get on the field somehow um by the end of the season he's just too good but we'll we'll, we'll see what happens there but I, I think taking him in the fourth round there's just you can't be upset about it because you're taking a swing on a guy with, you know, late first round tape, in my opinion. And, and, and can he make it work in the NFL? We'll see. But for, for that price of entry, uh, not a big risk at all. So the last two picks, uh, DeMarco Helms from Alabama and then uh, Jovan Gwynn from uh, South Carolina, who I never watched. Um, they are playing Gwynn at center. They've, they've already converted him to center and that's apparently where he's going to play. Uh, and then obviously Helms is a versatile guy. You got any uh, thoughts on, on those last two picks? Yeah, don't have a ton of thoughts on when. I mean, you, you just hope that he's a, a versatile depth offensive lineman who uh, they're moving him to center probably because they want to cross train him at the more technical position. And then they go, okay, well, if we have a hole at left guard or right guard at any point in time, you already kind of know what it's like on the interior and, and we'll be able to throw you in there. So that's just a depth signing as all seventh round picks really are. And Helms kind of the same way. And I like Helms as a as a as a depth seventh round pick because comes from Alabama, right? Been coached by Nick Saban for the last four years, can play special teams for you. He played that early on in his career. Special teams is very, very important when you're a back end of the depth chart kind of a guy. There's a lot of DBs that are special teams players when it comes to um punt coverage, kick coverage, all of that. So I think that he's gonna be very fundamentally sound in that in that area. Just wasn't a big difference maker on the ball um, over the last couple of years, but he did become a consistent starter, especially this past season. So uh, he's a senior type of player who's got some experience to him in a really good defense and a really good conference. So, yeah, I think that at that point, you're just looking for good depth and good special teams ability. And I think that there's a chance that both of those guys can give you those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it. You know, he played all over the defense for Alabama too. So, you know, he's someone that, can give you that depth at safety, uh, which for a seventh round pick, you know, if these guys make the roster, you chalk it up as a win. So I think both have a chance. Uh, I think Gwyn's got a tougher road. I think at safety, there's, there's more opportunity for that depth spot, but uh, both guys I think are interesting. Um, yeah. Good draft class. I mean, what do you think of the class as a whole? Um, I, I, I know draft grades at this time of year are stupid. I don't need you to give it a grade, but yeah. But just do you, what do you think about basically, you know, transitioning into sort of 2023 season stuff? I mean, do you think this draft class with the moves the Falcons have made is enough to sort of lift them from, from where they have been the last few years? 
Yeah, I think it's another step in the right direction, right? I I, I do feel like I feel like this roster has consistently gotten better. Um, especially when you throw in what this free agency period has been uh, for Terry Fontenot and for uh, Arthur Smith. I just feel like every single year they're, they're getting better and they're adding really good football players. Maybe they didn't do it in the order that people would have liked for them to do it, right? I mean, you know, when Justin Fields is on the board, you're not taking Justin Fields. And I know a lot of people have talked about that plenty with Atlanta and you, know, you take a tight end instead and then you take a running back in the top 10, then you take a wide receiver in the top 10. It's like, all right. Well, you're not really investing in these premium positions when it comes to some of your premium assets. But the more I have listened to Terry Fontenot, it's very clear that um, Arthur Blank must have said to him, like, look, you're not getting fired. This is a long-term thing. It's a long-term rebuild. We want to set up the team the way that we believe that they can have success. And here we are, year three into it. And – yeah, there's a couple of positions that they still need. Obviously, they've got to make sure that they, they get corner opposite AJ Terrell locked down. Um, they've got to make sure that they improve that secondary. They brought in a bunch of new bodies on that defense suit. So the floor of the defense should at least be improved a little bit there. The offensive line is really coming along for the identity that they want. I mentioned I think they'll have the opportunity to get another receiver or two over the next couple of years. And then you just got to nail it at quarterback, right? You, they certainly hope that Desmond Ritter's the guy, but then that's the big that's the big key to all of this. That's the big piece of the engine that you need to make it run. So yeah, there's some premium positions that still need to get figured out, but so much of the rest of the roster is really good to where it's kind of like a situation in the way that I look at the Panthers right now, where Panthers defense, man, feels like it's ready to go. I mean, is zero ever is that defense coordinator. I think it's going to be one of the best defenses in the NFL and the offensive line was coming along. I think the run game has been fine. Obviously, the wide receiver core is not great because they had to trade DJ Moore to get Bryce Young, but it's almost like you you trade your assets to go up and get Bryce Young, and it's not like we drafted a franchise quarterback and it's now still going to take forever for the rest of the team to come along. That's the kind of the way that I look at the Falcons. Whether Desmond Ritter shows that he's the franchise guy or whether they got to go out and get aggressive for one over the next couple of years, rest of the roster's there. Like the rest of the roster, they're building up pretty, pretty strong to where when they finally get that guy, whether it's Ritter or someone else, to take that next step, this isn't going to be just a barely make the playoffs kind of a team. I feel like it has the opportunity to be one that threatens for the division title when it's winning a couple of games in the playoffs, that kind of stuff. So that's really the way that I've, I've looked at this draft class, the way that they built the Falcons and kind of where they're going. Yeah, yeah. And everyone remember, Trevor is a Bucks fan. So, you know, he has you know, followed the NFC South closely. And, and I'm sure it pains you to talk about the Falcons being good. But <laughs> Bucks fans already hate me right now because I, I said that I said that I think the Saints are going to win the division this year. Uh, and I think that most people would probably say that the Saints are going to win the division this year. But Bucks fans and, and Saints fans have beef right now. So <laughs> when I said that, their Bucks fans weren't very happy about it. So. Um, yeah, I'm just pissing off my people left and right this offseason. Yeah, you can't make them all happy, Trevor. You know that. But uh, no, I mean, it, so we had uh, on, on Wednesday's show, we had Brett Jukes, who is uh, the executive vice president of the Falcons and Arthur Blank's family businesses. Um, and he's he's on the you know media side of things. He doesn't do personnel. But from what he, he said on the show, he made it I think he made it fairly clear that Arthur Blank has complete confidence in the staff and Fontenot mm. and, and Arthur Smith and it was pr- made clear to them that they can build this out like they don't need to rush it and right. I think it, you can see it in the moves they've made and you look at the salary cap too they have 
done a lot of one-year deals. They've been very diligent with how they've structured deals. They haven't restructured anything. Next year, I believe they have no dead cap or extremely minimal dead cap on the books. Um, so not only have they, I think, done a lot of savvy moves, they've also sort of kept their flexibility and their draft picks intact for, for future years. Like they're they're working with potentially another second round pick next year from the Calvin Ridley trade. They're going to mm-hmm. have a full allotment of salary cap space once again in another class. Um, so they've, you know, it's basically the opposite approach to the Saints, um, who I would agree with you. I think the Saints are, are the best positioned team to win this year simply because they have the most proven quarterback in Derek Carr. Um, yeah. who, who I, I know people like to dunk on Derek Carr, but I, I think Derek Carr is, is at worst a top 15 quarterback. Like he, he is a good quarterback. I don't mm-hmm. think he's an elite quarterback, but he's definitely better than anything they've had since Drew Brees left. So, and probably better than the last two or three years of Drew Brees as well. So, uh, it, I would agree with you there. Um, but that, that roster is bleeding. Um, it's bleeding talent every year. I mean, the Falcons signed away, it seems like, half their defensive starters, and a couple other teams rated the Saints as well. The Panthers rated Shy Tuttle and some other guys. And, um, you know, it, it it's really two completely different team-building strategies, which has been curious to me considering that Fontenot learned under Mickey Loomis, who runs things completely differently than what Fontenot's done in Atlanta. But, um, you know, getting back to the NFC South stuff there with all that, I mean... You've said that you think the Saints are going to win. Uh, what do you mm-hmm. think about the Falcons' chances to potentially pull off the upset uh, in this division, yeah. though? Yeah, I think that the Falcons are the next team, right? I think that if, if if you're asking me to make odds about it, I would say that the Saints have the most likely chance of winning the division, but then I would say the Falcons have the next closest. And it, and it all hinges upon Desmond Ritter, right? I yeah. think that the veterans along that defense are going to come along, and the Falcons' defense was bad last year. I mean, they needed to bring in – this new life uh, it, both in the draft picks and the free agents and so i think that they did that you throw in the akuda trade as well which i think was a really good uh, bet for them to make and if ritter's good this team's gonna be right there for the division title I, I i really truly believe that so i think they're close you know when you look at strength of schedule depending on what you look at like if you look at wins and losses from last year the saints have the easiest schedule the falcons have the second easiest schedule if you look at projected win totals for the upcoming season Falcons have the easiest schedule. Saints have the second easiest schedule. So they're both right there with favorable schedules. And I also think that those two rosters are in position to really take that chance and that leap up. Tampa could be right there. Uh, I think that Tampa still has a really strong roster. They've still got a lot of talent, but it's sprinkled. Like it's sprinkled around the roster. It's it's Levante David at linebacker. It's Vita Vale on the defensive line. It's Antoine Winfield Jr. and, and Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean in the secondary. It's Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. It, sure, it's Tristan Wirfs and Ryan Jensen along the offensive line. But within all of those players, there's kind of like holes throughout the roster. It, it's not like dominant on one side of the ball or dominant on one unit. Um Versus versus kind of the, how you would look at it from some of the other teams. So I think Tampa certainly has a chance, uh, and it it is a wide open division uh, with Carolina being in there as well. I just said that I think they're going to have a really good defense. If Bryce Young's phenomenal, then uh, you know who knows what they could be. But that's kind of the way that I would see Atlanta stacking up in, in this division. Yeah, it it really is wide open, and I think you brought up a good point about the Bucks. They they've sort of lost, I think, the the depth. 
Um, they've they've lost some guys, but I do think that this a lot of the stars are still there, and people forget yes. that. Yeah. It's just um, the quarterback position obviously is a huge question mark, um, which hasn't been uh, lately. You know, getting used to Tom Brady being there, and and then now with 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 Baker and and Kyle Trask, uh, you know, I, I I don't have a lot of confidence in that duo, but you know it. It's funny because it's like, oh, I have tons of confidence in Desmond Ritter, but I don't have confidence in, you know, Baker Mayfield, who is, to be fair to Baker, has definitely a, a longer NFL resume than Desmond Ritter does. But, you know, it, it all hinges on those guys because if I think you don't necessarily need to have a great starter in Baker. The wide receivers are really good. So mm-hmm. um, it's really like I think with the Bucks, it just depends like the, the, the holes that you mentioned. Are they glaring or are, are, are they just not great? Because if it's just not great, then I think it's going to be fine. But if it's like, oh, this is these guys that we've had to pepper in here with, with the guys that we've lost, if that goes badly, then it's going to potentially be bad. But And then you've got some people thinking that the Bucks are just outright tanking, which I, I don't believe that necessarily. No, <laughs> I, I, that's 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 not the case. That, that's not going to be the case of this Tampa team. I can tell yeah. you that. Yeah, they're, they're going to try. And it, they still have a lot of the veterans there. I think people just see the quarterback you know, not really going out and getting a quarterback and it's like, Oh, well, they don't care. No, they, they still care. Uh, but limited options in the quarterback market this year, obviously. So yes, yeah. Right. It, you know, you mentioned the Panthers. I, I sort of feel like the Panthers are like a year behind the Falcons, but they're on a similar mm-hmm. trajectory where they, they've, they're going to have to sort of eat their, you know, eat their vegetables and, and restart this thing. And that might take a year or two, but then they're going to, I think be primed, if they go and start nailing some of these drafts and, and start doing the better things with their roster and getting rid of Matt rule, uh, which they already did that good for them. Um, I, I like the coaching staff a lot in Carolina and I think they're going to be, I think we could see this NFC South within a few years go from like, it's the saints and the bucks to like, Oh, it's the Falcons and the Panthers. And it'll be completely go back to like what it was, you know, four or five years ago where it was a different team winning every single year. Yeah. Right. No, I think, you know, I, I don't say this as, as, as a cop-out. There's just so many different directions that the NFC South could go at this point. And fans of the NFC South can remember, like you mentioned, it felt like it was a different team winning this division every single year for so long. And it was, for a good chunk of, I would say, the last 20 years, considered consistently one of the toughest divisions in football. And we are on a trajectory for that potentially being the case. I mean, let's let's just say Tampa's quarterback situation makes them absolutely terrible next year. Let's say they win three or four games. If this team, if, th- if that Tampa team gets Drake may or, or Caleb Williams or whoever it's going to be in the draft, like all of a sudden, boom, they're like right back to the top. They're, they're a tough out no matter what team they're playing Carolina. If Carolina has a surprisingly good this year, this year, let's say even just finishes nine and eight. Um, but win the division at that point, make, maybe make a wild card, whatever, depending. If, if all of a sudden Carolina looks really competent, like on the cusp of greatness, you're going to see people want to play for that team. You're going to see, want to see people play for, you're, you're going to see people want to play with Bryce Young for Frank Reich, for Giro Evero in that defense, like all, like Carolina could turn it on like that. And so it just feels like all four of these teams Yes, some of them might be a little higher than others when it comes to short-term outlook of 2023, but they're all right there, that midline, to where nobody's catastrophically bad yet. All four of these teams 
believe that they can compete for the division this year. And all four of these teams believe that they are going up right now. We'll see what happens a year from now, because I do think there's a situation where maybe two of these teams are close to a rebuild, or certainly Tampa might be in that situation, given what happened with the fall of Tom Brady. Maybe they're close to kind of hitting a reset button, depending on what happens with Todd Bowles this year. But it's a really even division, as much as people say it's a, an easy one or whoever wins is going to have a great record. That might be true, but it's up for grabs. And I think any of these teams could compete for it. Yeah. I think it's going to make it a really exciting season to watch too, for, for fans of the NFC South who had to suffer through kind of a rough one last year. <laughs> Everyone basically was having a bad time. Uh, even the bucks, you know, that just disappointing year for them, but it, this year, I think I think there there are chances for all of these teams to take a step forward. Um, I, I think you know history says probably two will, two probably will not. Um, right. But good good luck predicting it at this point. You know, mm-hmm. obviously for me, it's like oh, well, I think Desmond Ritter is going to be great, and it's all you know, well, good. You know, we'll say like I think he'll be a, a good. You know, no one's going to be questioning whether he's an NFL caliber player by the end of the year. But will they be questioning whether the fact it should take another quarterback? I won't I won't answer that. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, but you know, I think Saints fans have reasons to be optimistic that they've got a big quarterback addition in Derek Carr. I think mm-hmm. the rest of that roster terrifies me, but I don't think the defense is going to be able to carry them anymore. So we'll see. Um, I think Tampa still has an excellent defense. You know, I think there are concerns maybe with some of the offensive line spots and quarterback, but you know, if a couple things go right there, I think going to be okay. I, I don't think they're right. going to like fall apart. And then Carolina, it's really like, no one's expecting a lot. It looks like a team in the first year of a rebuild. But if Bryce Young hits immediately, then anything's possible, you know. So, right, right. Um, so we'll see what happens there. It's going to be a fun year. Um, this was a fun show, Trevor. Really appreciate you coming on, guys. He is at Tampa Bay, Trey, Trevor Sycama. Anything else you want to plug, Trevor, before we sign off today? No, you mentioned it. Just the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. For anybody out there that loves draft stuff, we're already diving into summer scouting for what will be the upcoming college football season and the 2024 NFL draft. So if you're into that, come hang out with us. We're on YouTube and basically anywhere you uh, you listen to your podcast. But, uh, man, it was great to talk to you as always, Kevin. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Well, guys, check that out, too. If you're one of the sickos that's already getting into the the 2024 draft, uh, definitely check out the NFL Stock Exchange podcast, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in today uh, to the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. I am your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin, reminding you that today's show was presented by BetOnline.ag. Guys, thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you back on Wednesday as we get into uh, some mandatory mini camp news, maybe, uh, maybe some snippets, maybe a few, you know, clips. I'm sure we'll be able to determine a lot about the 2023 NFL season from those very few clips. So it's going to be, you know, a fun show, I'm sure. But again, Trevor, thank you so much. And guys, we'll talk to you next time on the Dirty Birds and Peruse podcast. Have a great day, folks.